Hey there, welcome to Your Basket is Empty. I'm your host, Tim Richardson. On this episode, I sit down with a good friend of mine, Luke Hodgson, and we learn about two new businesses he has just co-founded. One is called High Cohesion, one is called High Voltage. Before we get into it, I want to give a big shout out to my sponsor for this episode, LTV+. What's LTV+. They're a customer experience outsourcing company that provides outsourced customer experience teams for e-commerce brands. They build and manage your own dedicated team of live chat agents, customer support agents, social media moderators, back office support, and content translators. Looking to grow your brand internationally? Want to outsource your customer experience in any time zone language? And check them out at ltvplus.com. And just for my listeners, they are providing a 10% discount off the first three months. All you need to do is key in the promo code EMPTYBASKET2020. Enjoy the episode. Luke, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Here we are, undisclosed location in Walthamstow. Yeah. I don't know why it's undisclosed. My house. <laughs> and what a house. Yeah, what a house. Uh, so yeah, I'm taking the podcast off campus okay today usually it's recorded at the we make websites hq in farrington right but now we are here dog in tow so if the listeners hear some tapping going on in the background that is a uh, our four-legged friend daisy um i'm keen to start with your elevator pitch all right okay. so let's assume we're in a in a uh, maybe the shard yeah so it's a longish elevator yeah so talk me through it okay Good practice for me. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, okay, so I've got effectively two businesses and I'm involved in three different things. Two businesses and the three things combine in order for us to serve what we think is a mission. We believe that we can help developers of all abilities work more creatively with data. We believe that through advice and strategy, we can help fast-growing businesses scale even faster and we think we can also remove barriers to the tech industry for the next generation of developers no matter what their background is and we think we can do all of that at the same time it's quite quite a pitch i like it (laughs) that's good um so talk me through the the name of the business um that's the mission like what's going on with it right now where you're at in what, start of December 2019? Yeah, okay. So we've got, our business is called High Cohesion. The the platform, it's a, it's a technology business. Um, it's a software as a service, um, but it's a developer tool. So we're creating a toolkit that enables developers to move data much more easily and solve client problems themselves without relying on anyone else. So the business itself is in startup mode. We're spending a lot of money on developing the technology. And in order to not just raise funds to build that tech and support that tech, but also test some of our hypotheses around will this thing do what we think it will? And will people react to it in the way we expect them to react? We are supporting that with um, a great business, a consultancy business called High Voltage Analytics. So high being the join. And uh, High Voltage Analytics is focused at helping 
predominantly e-commerce retailers and e-commerce technology businesses um, with good advice on the technology to use, how to get the most out of it. Um, and I suppose the, the biggest thing we do is, is help people use data more effectively. Um, I, we all know that um, the number of applications that we use day to day is increasing. The amount of data that's flowing through that is increasing and behind it in its wake is leaving a lot of confusion about how to join these different things together, how to know which is the right one to go for. So we're trying to simplify that. Um, and I suppose to kind of answer your question, how is it all going? We're growing month on month. Revenues are getting bigger. The number of clients we're working with is never going to get out of control on the consulting side because you, you you can only provide the level of service that we want to provide if you keep it with a handful of people and a handful of companies. And then the platform business, yeah, we're, we're, we're being um, particularly, we're being really strategic about the way we want to launch the platform business. Um, my background is in related tech, um, but also related service delivery. And we know that if we launch this prematurely, we won't be able to scale it the way we want to. We need to refine the tech. We need to make sure that it is performing, um, is suitably developed um, before we launch it to the, the wider market. Um, so we're making it available to an exclusive group. So we've got two of the biggest European Shopify agencies, of which we would have been sat in the office of one. Um, yeah, uh, using slash trained on it and beginning to figure out how they want to start developing and delivering solutions with it. Um, and that's where we want to be. So yeah, the short answer is bang on track. The bigger answer is a lot of work to do, <laughs> but a lot of good stuff done. So you touch on an interesting point, um, data. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, big data was a buzz term. Yeah. What, 10 years ago now? Is, mm -hmm. it, is it that long ago? I mean, God. Could be, right? Like, Probably as long as we've been in a career. Yeah, right. So, and that seems to be or have been replaced with machine learning and AI mm -hmm. in terms of buzzwords. Mm -hmm. So the big data is not gone anywhere, mm -hmm. but we're getting better at, understanding it and using it yeah do you what do you see is how how does high uh voltage and high cohesion i suppose fit into that is that is that the idea is that the stuff's all there and out there mm. and there's a huge wave of it and people particularly e-com businesses want to focus on whatever it is that they do and leave the data management and understanding it and analyzing it and utilizing it mm -hmm. to people like you guys? I suppose, yeah. Um, I, I, I see it slightly differently. I think most businesses are eager to, I suppose, leverage what they perceive to be as like the, the secrets that are hidden somewhere in the data. Like a business that has, I don't know, 10 million pounds turnover and it's all online. You think about it, they'll have a lot of customers and they'll have a lot of information on customers browsing different pages of their website, interacting with different advertisements and all of this sort of jazz. And I think if you asked any business honestly at that kind of size, whether they had a really clear strategy about how to get at that data, get it somewhere that they can actually start 
interpreting it and then serving up information to the senior leaders in those sort of businesses as to what decisions to make based on the trends in the data. There's very few who are doing it very effectively. Um, And it's a complex challenge, right? Like I'm not sitting here saying, yeah, you get me in the room for a day and all of that will just be perfectly resolved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not that simple. Um, But for those businesses that are motivated and, and believe that actually if we can, get at all of the different information um, and make sure that it is in, and this is the key bit, like all of this data is in disparate data points, um, whether that's a Google Analytics or your own website, or maybe even like, I don't know. So one of our clients, big scooter company, um, electric scooters, they're pretty sure that there is trends in buying and the weather. So you're going to want weather information as well. And the more data points you start to think of, and also the more systems that you're using internally, that challenge of getting at data, transforming it into something that can then be interpreted, that is a really difficult thing. So we're almost that piece between um, getting traction as a business and then really starting to refine how you do it by making much better use of the different data points. And that's really where we're sitting in the the high voltage side, the consulting side of the business. Um, And then on the the high cohesion side, yeah, the, the, the tools that we're trying to develop aren't endpoint specific. They aren't purpose built for a single problem it's more abstract than that we spent five years um so i keep talking about we so me and my business partner andy um we have spent a long time given our previous business patchworks working as a point-to-point integrator between god loads and loads of different systems and we feel that with that experience and also all of the work we've been doing and studying we've been doing over the last 12, 18 months, we think we're as educated as anyone to be picking out the trends in there and then finding a solution at the more abstract level. And if we can solve that and create a technology around that that simplifies complex data challenges, we believe that we'll be able to empower other people to solve the specific challenges that are being faced And I suppose that's one of the key drivers for us and and one of the big things that differs from where we've been previously to what the mission is inside of High Cohesion is we don't think whether you're a 50-person agency in the UK or a 50,000-person business in like, I don't know, Salesforce, they're probably loads more than that. But no one business is able to solve every other business's data challenges, but we think that the developer community, the global developer community can. So they're our focus, they're our target market. So you touch on an interesting point there in that um, you and Andy were, were, were in a, a, a previous business and now you've kind of come out on your own. Hmm. So what's that world look like and <laughs> how different is it to where you were eight months ago and maybe talk me through 12 months ago ago, how your um day-to-day is now given your you know essentially working from home yeah you know straight back to startup mode like how's that all working well i would imagine quite a lot of people can empathize with the way we were feeling 
14, 15 months ago. Um, the decision to leave um, and exit Patchworks was not an easy one and wasn't something that we came to overnight. Um, but it was driven largely by us feeling like we had this clear vision for what the technology and the business we were building and the culture in it needed to be. Um, and we felt like we were compromising that. And I think that's a key thing. I would imagine a lot of people whether you're in the technology industry or any industry has feelings of frustration about the speed of progress the speed either of their own personal development or collective development and I suppose you can kind of slice the day-to-day into two or three distinct parts since then um so full disclosure, Tim and I know each other very well for any listeners. And we live one street yeah. away, two streets actually. So, um, so I'm, I'm mindful that you've probably seen me in each of these phases. <laughs> um, I'm quite a, uh, I'm quite a uh, ambitious and disciplined person, um, quite competitive. And that stopped for about three months. So December through to March, my day to day was I just read, I read loads, I studied I exercised and I kind of harnessed this like unique opportunity we had. Like we'd spent five years scaling a tech business. We essentially built a 25 person agency, not on our own, God no. Um, And that was our life. And then we decided that that wasn't going to be our life anymore. And for me, um, after the initial week or two, um, yeah, it was a matter of, right, I've got a bit of cash in my pocket and I now have some freedom to just go and explore different ideas, recover a bit. Um, So yeah, the first three months was like a really extended holiday slash study break. Retreat. Yeah, a retreat in E17. (laughs) Um, And then post that point, again, mindful that any listener might get pretty bored of me just talking about my day to day and how I filled it. Um, From that point, it was then a matter of, okay, what is the next big thing that we want to focus on going to be because I speak for I think both of us where anyone who's met us knows we're pretty all-in type blokes um we we want to feel passionate about something but once we found it we can zero in and, and really go for it and that was quite tricky when you start with such a blank canvas um so we we explored a few ideas and I, I suppose prototyped a couple of things and then had chance to bounce those ideas off of other people. Whereas before we were supporting like 120, 130 clients all at the same time, we were able to say, right, what is it that we want to do? What do we want to design? This is a cool idea. Let's pursue this and let's bounce it off of other people that we built up a good network. Like you're one of them, but there's a ton of people that we just started talking to. So that was great. A bit more experimental. And then after six months, we were probably in the position where um, and this is a good thing to flag is that like we took a fairly extreme move to to exit without a clear this is what we do as soon as we exit um, and we found that the people we and the relationships we built up when we put ourselves in that kind of position where we'd sacrifice things we didn't really have much left much else to, to kind of lose we weren't holding on to anything we were fairly free you realise then how much people are rooting for you to succeed. So we picked up some consultancy gigs through people just saying, oh, I think you could probably come in and help us out. And then that snowballed. So yeah, the the kind of the third section past recovery slash study leave to um, 
experimenting was building up some revenue into the consulting business and establishing that actually between Andy and I, there's very few people in growing e-commerce businesses that have the breadth of experience and mindset of us. And to our almost surprise, people really valued that. Um, So we've begun to grow that to the point where we've got people working for us in the consultancy business. So that's been nice. It's kind of this almost organic business that's materialized. And um, we've become really passionate in a couple of the client projects that we've been involved in. So that got us back connected. But all the while, um, we've been really, really disciplined in building this technology. So adding developers to it ensuring that we're meeting milestones in a roadmap. So yeah, I suppose the last six months has been much more ordered. We know what we want to build. We know who we're building it for. We're confident that there's a market at the other side of it. So let's just get it done. And you you touch on there wasn't necessarily a clear exit path, but then afterwards there was like an ex... Um, uh, a, a time for exploration and for recovery and thinking do you and Andy have clearly defined roles and did that come throughout that process or has it been a kind of evolving um, concept yeah um, now yeah very clearly defined um, and that was a key lesson that we learned previously and it was a key objective in whatever we did we would have from the get-go clarity in what we wanted out of it big time like long term you you know like when you again I think most people will empathize with this when you are on the you're on the wheel and you just yeah yeah yeah. and we've all we're all it aren't we at times we're all it and when you're on the wheel you don't really have and you've also got the blinkers on. You're kind of this double-edged sword. So isn't horse it? blinkers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Horse blinkers on the hamster wheel, human-sized hamster wheel. Yeah. And you're just <laughs> flying, aren't you? And you don't really have chance to look around, but you also don't have the chance to assess, like, not just how is my performance in this setting, but what is it that I even want from it? So we managed to um, really get that out in front and that probably shows a maturity that we didn't have the the first time around um so we 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 were really clear as to what roles where our strengths where our weaknesses were i mean we operated for five years in a pretty high pressure environment where we perhaps didn't know each other when we first started like we do now so yeah we have really clear um roles um I'm very much on the management commercial side, organizing things. Um, And again, this is not in any way a criticism of Andy. It's about making sure that we're playing to his strengths, um, ensuring that he's got the headspace to to create stuff. Like I've never met anyone who has the ability to problem solve and create like Andy does. Like this is a massive um, oversimplification, but like most of the successful development teams that I've either been a part of or been aware of and collaborated with, they tend to distill down into two types. You've got these kind of uncompromising doers that when given a brief and told what that needs to happen they just don't stop they just belligerently will keep going any barrier they'll push it down and they'll just keep going and then there's the abstract creators 
And these are the people that solve what hasn't been solved before and see problems that haven't been solved before and can come up with what needs to be done. Andy's this rare breed that's both of them. And he can, and that is incredibly effective at getting something new off the ground because he can think stuff up that hasn't been done before and then build it. Now, you imagine that as a two-person team, it's incredible. So my responsibility is to make sure that he can concentrate on those two things and not have other stuff to worry about. So that's the clarity. I think that's amazing that you've identified that because... I think a lot of people spend a lot of time <laughs> trying to figure that stuff out, right? You know, um, it's about dropping ego. Yeah, right, and getting to the core of it. Like, what, what are you good at? What do you enjoy? And letting other people removing blockers yeah. so you can like let Andy just get on and, yeah. and do his thing, right? Yeah, and I mean, I mentioned like dropping ego. It's much easier when it's just two of you, and you're as close as Andy and I are because you know each other's flaws. And you're not demonstrating them in front of a team of people that you've perhaps built up a slightly different reputation, perception of what you are. Um, and, and it's really important that because we've got the experience of then building a team, that you set those roles up for the most success as to where your skills are. So that as we start to drive up the numbers, as we are doing now, that you're not setting unrealistic expectations of you. Like Andy doesn't want to be a man-manager scrum master. It's just not his job. And nor do I. However, in the short term, my skills are probably more aligned to that. So I'm going to take that. In the same way as, Christ, you would not want me coming up with the new line of code. Like, yeah, no, no, you just don't want me doing that. It's not where I am. So, yeah, it, it's cool. It's cool. We've not solved it. Like, there's going to be new challenges. We're probably going to discover new things about one another. But we've got an honesty that means that we're not worried about losing face. And I think yeah. that's a key thing is a Definitely. leader in a business. Yeah, if you can have that sort of core trust, then you've got the ability to have those difficult conversations. And as long as you're coming back to it, you know, revisiting it because mm. it changes, right? You know, yeah, yeah. quarter by quarter, year by year. So I'm keen to switch gears slightly. Talk me through how's everything been funded thus far? <laughs> Good question. Um, so yeah, we we exited our last business that gave us some breathing room. Um, on a personal level, that gave us the opportunity to not worry about going out and getting a job on January the 1st. So we, we did give ourselves that time. I went traveling. Andy did a bit of traveling himself and just relaxed and what have you. Um, then we started picking up the consultancy business. Um, and, and, and it's worth saying that we both tightened our belts. Like we haven't exactly been champagne and caviar lifestyle. More. Like you were before. Yeah, just like I was before. <laughs> it's more toast and beans. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, but no, so we, we, we did that. And, and, and that was a conscious decision to say, we're going to want to hold some of this back. Because like I said, the, the consultancy side, I absolutely love doing that stuff. But it was almost an organic development that has then really started to become critical and central to the whole mission and the vision, which is great. Um, but we initially were just funding it ourselves. Um, and really, it was a two-man outfit for six, nine months. So you, you only really have to worry about feeding yourself and your family. 
um, which we had covered. From that point, it's been a matter of right. Let's 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 ensure that we keep a level of balance because if we start doing the consultancy, I know what I'm like anyway. Like I absolutely love working inside of and a part of these new businesses. So like Pure Scooters is one that we've been working with um, since summer of last year, of this year, sorry. Um, and it's they've been fantastic in terms of saying we recognize that you guys have an experience that we can leverage and we are really, really ambitious. Um, so that's been fantastic in terms of us being able to provide value and them supporting us in the sense of there's a, a, a billing, there's revenue there for us to reinvest um, and, and just making sure that that is mutually beneficial has been a real key priority to us in, in, in those months. We've picked up probably half a dozen um, other clients, each of which I could do a monologue on and there's some just amazing teams that we're a part of. So that's really helping. And and actually that's grown to the stage where we are have recruited into the, the consulting business. Um, and we wanna we wanna keep growing that. Um, so it is all self-funded right now. The the ambition that we've got for the technology um, does align itself to being um, funded through um, perhaps VC or private equity or uh, private investment from people in our, inside our network and there's some um, there's some interest but we're actually not we've not got a gun against our head we are building this we have factored in that we don't want to launch and become this kind of always chasing the next incremental step up on the MRR until we are really confident that when we have the investment that is spent on really growing the user base but there needs to be a real solid ground to do that so we're trying to manage that balance between staying in control but then not being unambitious because we need to manage that. And I think that we'll continue to self-fund until um, probably Q1 financial year 2021. And as part of that, um, I suppose, talking about growth, vision, mission, something that you and I discuss quite regularly is the concept of sustainability. Mm. And I think it's, it's, it's a really interesting topic um, for a lot of the brands that you and I come into contact with. Mm. Um, but I'm keen to get your thoughts from a non-physical uh, product type business. Mm-hmm. So how cause how are you building or are you building stuff like that into, you know, corporate uh, social responsibility type initiatives? And does one have to wait till they're huge to think about it or can you think about it at the ground or the or, or the sort of grassroots level yeah, yeah yeah so we've we've decided from the get-go that i mentioned at the top there was like three main objectives and and one of or, or three things that we think we can achieve alongside each other and one of them was removing barriers to entering the industry now it doesn't matter whether you are a one so not one. It doesn't matter whether you are a small boutique agency slash technology company or you are a huge multinational. You can open doors for people who wouldn't necessarily have had those doors open to them if you're engaged with the right social enterprises. And we've made a conscious decision to go looking for 
um, I suppose, um, either not-for-profits or, like I say, social enterprises that are focused on something that links back to us. We feel, and I know Andy's pretty passionate about this as well. So Andy's from, lives in Nottingham. So not necessarily seen as like a tech hub, whereas I'm in London. So there's far more seemingly like, um, yeah, there's, there's far more going on seemingly to try and open doors for disadvantaged groups in, in, in London. And we've, we've, we've really made a conscious effort to try and find some of those. So I spent maybe a month really zeroing in on, on going and visiting some different charities and, and things like that. And I, I'm pleased to say that I'm now actively involved in a company called, well, an organization called Code Your Future. So I would recommend anyone listening to this to check out codeyourfuture.io. Um, it's just this incredible organization, this incredible group of people who are committed. Um, initially, it was exclusively around refugees. So refugees who perhaps needed additional educational support around different coding languages or perhaps some of the softer skills around how to write a CV or prepare for an interview so that they aren't closed off from opportunities inside of the tech industry in London that they have more than, they're more than capable of doing it, but they just perhaps haven't got that pathway to it. And that's us at six months before we're a business effectively. So yeah, I challenge anyone to say that it doesn't matter whether you're in a product business or whether you're in a technology business, you can build in a social angle and a, you can do good. Like I'm not doing social angle because I want to tick that box. Deep down, both Andy and I feel more motivated by recirculating some of the profit and some of our time into something that does genuine good in society. Because as much as I enjoy earning money from moving data around and consulting businesses, there is a bigger win available to us all if we are connected with things that have a real benefit to people's lives. So taking that point and then slightly going back in time to your retreat after patchwork <laughs> the glamorous way of putting that yeah uh, your, your decompression stage um, and and I know you, you've been a great source for me in terms of of, of reading um, and I suppose that philosophical slant is, is, is part of that mm. have you got any hot tips in terms of reading materials for anyone out there in the your basket is empty podcast world could yeah. be business related you okay. and I are talking about the um, the book Sapiens at the moment, which is quite good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, give me some some Luke's reading hot tips. Wow. Okay. Okay. So um, less on the kind of philosophy side. Um, I love the Sapiens book. Like, what's the Homo Deus as well? Have you seen that? Have you read that? Uh, I saw it as a recommended. Mm. Uh, book when I bought Sapiens yeah, on yeah. Amazon. So oh yeah, Homo yeah. Deus is the one that was, it was like, by the same dude, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, 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 yeah. So he talks about like it's interesting. He talks about um, like life being now can you can distill modern life to streams of data, whether that's between a human and a machine or just between machines. And he it's quite a cynical look at the world, but think about it from a conceptual perspective. What do you do day to day that doesn't at some point interact with 
putting data into a computer of some description. So like you've had a meeting. How many times do you have a meeting where someone doesn't follow up with key points, actions, and or an overview of what, what went on into an email? So again, it's like this idea of almost nothing is outside of the realms of technology. So yeah, a real cheery one there. To, <laughs> um, and then I read all of the Alan Partridge books. Oh, nice. Bit of brevity. Very good. Yeah, just... What, what about, uh, I think one of the best uh, business book tips I've got from you is Traction. Oh, yeah. Okay, sorry. Yeah, this I is... I think that one is... You specifically asked about business well, books. Well, no. I'm, you can yeah. learn a lot from Partridge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. No, no, no. So, yeah, no. So, Gino Wickman, um, anyone who's trying to start something up should read Gino Wickman's Traction. It is fantastic at giving you models and structures to get your business off the ground and to get it to a position where, you know, you've got key metrics against which you can judge your performance. So you're not just looking, have I got any money in the bank balance? You're seeing trends that ultimately result in the key things that you need, but it just gives you a model to do that in. So yeah, Gino Wickman's Traction. I also love all of Matthew Syed's books. So not explicitly business, but like black box thinking is a great mindset to have. His perspective on failure or the, the his, his commentary over how failure has been not tolerated in businesses and now the successful businesses are the ones that embrace it and say, okay, it's not about failure is totally accepted it's that failure once is accepted providing you learn from it and actually it's a key driver for innovation is that you try things fail fast and then get the learnings in if you create a culture in a business that doesn't accept failure well failure still happens but everyone just brushes it under the rug his key point is embrace it make it tolerated make sure people feel empowered to try new things and make sure that as whether leaders managers or participants in a business that you have the underlying kind of nets catching failure reviewing it learning from it and then building it back in so you don't fail again Mm. and the black box concept analogy is what he says is like aviation how many people now die in aviation it's minuscule fractions and it's because they said, you know what, we're going to have something that always tracks failure. In case the worst happens, we're going to know why it happened. Mm. So yeah, Black Box Thinking, another great one that I suspect is on most people's shelves already. Uh, okay, final question. It's a two-part question. Um, what's the best decision you've ever made and what's the worst decision you've ever made? Mm, best decision I've ever made. So this is a perfect segue into the fact that I proposed to my now fiance oh, Christmas last year. So, nice. and that's the first I've mentioned of it. So that feels like the perfect time. There you go. So yeah, um, proposed to my girlfriend on Christmas Day. Very good, December twenty eighteen. That's fantastic. I feel like that. That's the best decision I've made. Best decision. Okay. Uh, what's the worst decision then? Coming on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is, you guys are going to get drowned. This is yeah, yeah. Um, no, no, no. So, um, <laughs> mate, I don't know. What's the worst decision I've ever made? Um, oh, yeah. I suppose I once put um, as a joke on a CV that I was a freelance sock model. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, and and what? and it didn't go down well when I was applying for jobs in the finance industry. I thought it would add some like 
Cachet. brevity yeah, 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 to yeah, the situation. Yeah. And actually, it was just a really bad move. I had actually, basically, I lived next door to a guy who ran a PR and advertising agency who last minute, his model had dropped out and they had a client... I can't even remember the name of the band. I think it was called like Panthrella. It's like one of these vintage English sock brands. And anyway, he invited me over and was like, look, Luke, I know this is last minute, but can you come to a photo shoot out here in some like country house in the middle of nowhere? I've seen your ankles and they look amazing. We we, we want to get them on film. Yeah. yeah. So I thought, oh yeah, it'd be a good conversation starter, thinking that I could come up with something witty. And anyway, it just went down like a lead balloon. (laughs) That's really good. Luke, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you, mate. There you go. Thanks for joining me. And a big thanks to Luke for being on the program. If you want to learn more about High Cohesion, go to highcohesion.com. Check it out. Another shout out to my sponsor for this episode, LTV+. If you're looking to grow your brand internationally, and you want to outsource your customer experience in any time zone and language, then check them out at ltvplus.com. And remember, if you use the promo code EMPTYBASKET2020, you'll get 10% off your first three months. And yeah, final thing, please support the podcast. Um, Tell your mum, tell your friends, tell your neighbours, tell them to leave a review, tell them to subscribe, tell them to get behind it. I'll see you next time. Taking notes.